Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. I'd like to welcome to the podcast Florence Fabricant, who is a nationally known food writer who's written numerous books on the topic and has a column that runs run for many years in the New York Times. From what I've read about you, uh, you've kind of came in sideways to being a food writer, uh, having discovered the uh, bounty of Eastern Long Island. And it, I would ask, wanted to ask you to tell us a little bit about that. Well, I've been aware of the bounty of Eastern Long Island for a long time, having been coming out to this part of the world actually since I was about 12, because one of my best friend's parents had a house on Gin Lane. So I used to spend time there and then my parents rented out here. And then when we got married, my husband and I started renting and then have built a couple of houses, one of which we are occupying now. And from the beginning, it was always a place where there were good restaurants at one time with some famous names involved. And there was always wonderful seafood and you could count on the corn and the tomatoes and the potatoes and a smattering of other produce. Although back in those days, uh, the produce offerings were not as varied as they've become because there was no demand for things like arugula, for example. It's evolved, but I used to be a devotee of what was local and what was, in fact, we would go picking blackberries and blueberries and so forth and strawberries when we could um, and gather crabs from Georgia Pond. And it would bother me to see people in a supermarket. And in those days, the supermarket in question was the Bohacks in East Hampton, which is long gone, replaced by Citarella now. But in those days, people would go into that market and they would uh, just buy whatever was on the produce shelves. And supermarkets back then didn't pay much attention to issues like locally grown, organic. Uh, it was commodity stuff, iceberg lettuce and cellophane and the like. And it used to make me crazy to see people doing this when they could get wonderful stuff from somebody's car table in their front yard piled with locally homegrown tomatoes, for example. So uh, I suggested a food column to the East Hampton Star. And uh, not too long after that, I began getting assignments from the Times. And the rest is, I guess, as they say, history. Um, when did things start to change out here, as far as you were concerned? I would say things, the, I started in the early 70s, and I began to see change, and not just out here, but kind of everywhere, by the late 80s and 90s. Because by that time, people became much more 
devoted to dining out. Chefs were starting to become celebrities and chef's recipes were becoming important. So I think that a lot of the change was somewhat chef driven. You also, in terms of agriculture out here, had a situation where they were no longer profitably growing potatoes by the ton to ship to Russia, which is what was being done in the 60s and 70s. And the farmers who wanted to make some extra money or any money would create a farm stand, but the demands were for more diversified uh, products like gold zucchini. And, and again, I'll say that arugula, but also um, a number of other vegetables and fruits and items like that, that uh, generally weren't available decades before. At the same time, <clears throat> on the seafood front, salmon became emerging, uh, started emerging as the go-to fish. It was becoming plentiful because of farm raising and so forth. I'm very particular about uh, salmon and I have very, um, a very limited patience for a lot of the farm raised Atlantic salmon. Uh, I won't say all of it, but at the same time, I think that when people are out here with what comes in from our waters, I don't think salmon should be the first That's choice. Well, salmon is isn't out here, is it? It's up in the northwest. Is there a is there a fishery port here as well? Well, this the northwest is an Alaska uh, Pacific salmon, which is wild and is being mad. The fishery is quite well managed. There are limits and so forth, and you can get it. I mean, it's in season now, and I mean, it's the one time that I eagerly buy salmon because I find the, uh, uh, the wild Northwest salmon is so delicious and it is available on a limited basis. So um, yeah, but at the same time, what you've got out here is an abundance of black sea bass. And this year there's weak fish and um, skate wings and blowfish and, you know, it's a, it's a very long list. And I just don't understand. I see people buying, I see markets selling Bronzino out here. Why? I mean, you've got black sea bass. What, I don't what, what, let me ask you this. What, what is your favorite cuisine when you're, cook, when you're cooking and you're making stuff? Is it from the uh, oh. Pacific Rim or uh, Italy or, or local? Or how do you, how do you yeah. tell that apart? My personal report is really extremely uh, eclectic. I can go French, I can go Italian, I can go Asian or American. And I don't have a strong preference one for one or the other when I'm cooking. It kind of depends on what I find in the market and what inspires me. I usually don't approach cooking recipe first. It's marketing first. I see. what. What, what is the best-selling book that you've written about food? Probably Park Avenue Potluck. Potluck? <laughs> yeah. 
So what do you find in New York City? That, uh, well, Park Avenue Potluck was a fundraiser for Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center and the Women's Auxiliary. And the recipes all came from these mainly Park Avenue ladies participate in that in that charity. So um, the recipes, well, if it didn't come from them or their mothers or their cooks or what have you, they were recipes that uh, even their children liked to make. And I adapted them. I didn't, there were no recipes that they had clipped from magazines or other publications, but uh, the book worked out. A lot of the recipes are really good and it sold extremely well. It's still selling. I hope the LVIS cookbook, which just came out last year, uh, does as well. Let me ask you a personal question. What did you have for dinner last night? Ramen. Oh, can you tell me a recipe for that? Well, it wasn't my recipe. I happened to have ramen in the freezer because I, I was writing about different sources for frozen ramen from Japanese restaurant. And I had one one double portion left. So I made the ramen. I mean, it came with the broth. It came with some of the pork and the noodles. Do you think it's true that the Mediterranean diet, they say, is the most healthy diet? I wouldn't doubt it. Because if people follow that diet, what they're going to do is reduce the amount of animal fat and red meat that they eat. And that's important. Uh, what is your favorite food? What do you like to eat? Uh, I love bread and butter and I love eggs. That <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a breakfast to me. <laughs> well, I like my eggs and egg salad. I also like them in soft, softly scrambled with shaved black truffles on top. I don't mind that. Do you have a favorite uh, restaurant out here that you'd like or you can recommend to some of the listeners? Can I duck that question, please? Okay. <laughs> uh, My house. That's good. Do you have a plan for another book uh, in the near future? Not really. Taking a break. I see. Have you been around the world tasting different uh, foods and different cultures? Yep. What's the most interesting place you've been? Food-wise or in general? Well, let's do both food-wise first. Interesting, I would say in terms of variety and so forth, I would probably say France. Why is that? Well, because there are so many different regions. There are so many local dishes and the food is generally quite wonderful. And you can find it today with influences of Asia, North Africa, exotic places, if you will. And yet there is this uh, armature of French tradition that uh, maintains. And I really like that. On the other hand, I was fascinated with the food of Japan, really fascinated. We had lunch once at a restaurant in Kyoto. It's uh, a counter many Japanese restaurants here and in Japan are just counters. And the restaurant was closed when we got there, even though it was supposed to be open. And then about 10 minutes later, the chef came running up with two big bags of stuff 
and he apologized for being late, but he was foraging in his somebody's garden and he couldn't resist some of the things <laughs> he did, which he proceeded to prepare for lunch. Uh, that's wonderful. I have a lot of really compelling memories about where we've eaten and, and what we've eaten and uh, what it's been like. The potatoes in Peru, amazing. But uh, the other half of that question was, what is the most interesting place to be that you've been? The most interesting place, that's also a tough one. There are so many interesting places. I would say maybe India. Why? It's, it's such a complex culture and so many layers and incredible history, incredible beauty, and at the same time, incredible poverty. Uh, and yet you drive through and there are these mud hut villages and the women are wearing the most gorgeous colors you've ever seen in your life. These saris draped around, even though they're hauling water. It's just extraordinary. So this has been quite a, quite a run for you. This, I guess you've been doing this now for 35 years or more, 40 years or more. Are you getting oh, tired of it? Or do no. You still... <laughs> no. And actually, let me tell you where I, the country that I think has the worst food I ever encountered. And that was Libya. Why is that? You think? Uh, I can't figure it out. Here's a country with olive trees growing along the roadside and they at the olives they serve you are those canned black things that taco hut a taco bell puts in them puts in their food uh the food was tasteless and really awful the last day we found finally found a, a little place that was making couscous in the market in tripoli and that was really the only decent meal we had I was in uh, the Soviet Union in the final days, and I have to say that the cuisine there was about right at the bottom. Even in the restaurants, there was very little variety of the food. There was a lot of potatoes and bread, and that was about it. Maybe some mystery meat. That, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> was, that, was, that was then. But the thing about Libya also is there was no alcohol. Well. <laughs> There was nothing to wash it down with. Why, why do uh, certain wines go with certain foods? Can you explain that? Um, there are certain very good pairings, but I would say in general, if you've got a good plate of food and a good bottle of wine, it's really hard to make a mistake. I see. Yes, if you're eating oysters, something crisp and white, something cold and crisp and white, tends to be a better compliment. Certain foods like artichokes are problematic because artichokes have that sweetness that uh, distorts your palate. But by and large, and you know, I wouldn't drink a light white wine with a steak, but as I say, by and large, I think the, the whole business of matching food and wine is probably overdone. I think the one place where mistakes are made is serving dry champagne with a sweet dessert. That just doesn't go. I see. Well, do you have any uh, recollection of uh, Villador? It uh, was a restaurant right at the head of 
Uh, oh, the one that was just torn down. Yes, there was a very famous New York chef at that time when I got here, who I thought you might have known too. Uh, I can't remember his name though. He, he ran that restaurant. And uh, I don't remember a New York chef there. When we first started coming out, you had Henri Soule at the head. That, that was, oh, I, I had him at the wrong place. But I wasn't going to that restaurant at that time anyway, so it doesn't matter. And Tom Kalman was at the Maidstone. Yes, for a long time. Mm -hmm. And but Michael Field was also at the Maidstone. Yeah, and, and uh, I guess you would say the only food that I knew at that time out here that was from somewhere else was either Italian or Chinese. Where did you find ch any Chinese? Right on Newtown Lane, right where uh, Sid and Nueva is today. Oh, really? I don't recall that. Yep. It was across from Eddie's Luncheonette. Yeah. Anyway, it's, uh, it's good to talk to you. Um, and I uh, wanted to thank you for coming on this podcast, Florence. This is Florence Fabricant, uh, one of our great food writers in America today. Again, it's been very nice and I wish we had more time, but talk to you soon. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, I love what you do. Keep it up. Thank you. <laughs>